Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the world transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the world transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Oh, no, I'm amazing. What am I saying? I'm amazing. How are you, my friend? (laughs) This is our amazing Wednesday show, and uh, we're talking human lifespan and other stuff, too. So, you know, it's going to be a good show. Well, it's 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 big it's big news all the way around tonight. But I had to I had to uh, give the title of the show the biggest story, which is human lifespan times ten. Okay, I just I felt like that you know it's it's hard to top that as a as a uh, as a title of the show. Although, gosh, we could have called the show endless power. Um, really, um, yeah. we could have called it Re- regenerative medicine is here or is almost here, is on the way. Because we've got three big stories that we're going to talk about tonight, and they're all huge. But the third one, the map that shows humans could live ten times longer, that's our amazing story of the night, I guess. Uh, you, you know, amazing <laughs> among amazing, right? It's kind of the, uh, the, the, the A of the A. But uh, let's do these other two first. Let's work up to it, okay? Let's, let's, let's work up to our amazingness. This first story from Engadget, endless nuclear power can be found in the seas. Well, this you know, so is, I, I, I see this headline, and I think, oh, it's another story about deuterium, right? Yeah, I mean, because exactly. That, yep. that's, a, that's a nuclear fuel that they've long talked about being in endless supply in the seas, and uh, you just you know, filter, filter some water, and apparently there's enough deuterium in a gallon of, uh, of water to, uh, I mean, it's like 10 times the amount of energy can be extracted from the deter- deuterium in a gallon of seawater as is in a gallon of gasoline or something like that. It's, cr- right. it's crazy. Okay? Yeah, it's amazing. It's not even, that's, it, that is not even, this story is not even about deuterium. There's apparently it's not. The well, same, and the question I would ask, because we've talked, about, yeah, we've talked about deuterium before, but do we currently have a process for, I mean, are there plants that run on deuterium yet? I guess that's the no, no. Right. It, it, it's but I mean it's it's uh, if if uh, if we had the deuterium to to run the plant, it would apparently not be. Uh, it, it, they wouldn't have to develop all this new technology to do it. It's uh, it, you know we're talking uh, a fission, uh, you know, nuclear power plant. Uh, deuterium uh, uh, would not be too much more difficult, I wouldn't think, than than uranium. But hey, so we could this, almost this call this story. We could almost call this endless endless nuclear power can be found in the seas times two, right? Because we exactly. already got deuterium going, and now what this right. story is actually about is something seemingly a little, almost a step back, a, a little simpler, right? Because here we're just talking about getting uranium out of seawater, which it turns out yeah. that there's there's enough uranium in the oceans right now to run our current power plants for six thousand years which is, uh, that's a fair amount of uranium. Of course, the oceans are pretty big, right? I mean, that's the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's lots of water out there, and apparently each gallon of it's got a significant amount of uranium. And exactly. That's so the story says there's only around a grain of salt of uranium per quart, three quarts per 
three, three parts per billion. Okay, so there's about three parts uranium per billion in the oceans. How in the world could we ever get that uranium out and make power out of it? Well, in 2012, a Japanese team put together a seawater extraction technique um, using technology that existed at that time, and they said they could get uranium out of the ocean for about $300 per kilogram, which is about three times the commercial price for, for uranium at that point. But this new methodology developed by a team at Stanford, they're using a conductive hybrid carbon and uh, amidoxime fiber prototype, okay, so for those who like to track with those kinds of things, and it's really good at just running through the water and getting uranium to stick to it. And apparently they can take that price down and actually make it competitive with mining uranium, they, or fairly close to it anyway. So this now looks like an actual means by which we can start powering existing nuclear power plants just by taking uranium out of the ocean. Yeah, so if, cool, uh, huh? if, if something that was three times, as, this is difficult math, uh, three times the, ex, uh, the expense of uranium and you cut that in half, you're still not there. But you're, you're, getting, you're getting a whole lot closer at that point. Well, in fact, actually, over, he says, over an 11-hour test at Half Moon Bay, the team captured three times as much uranium um, and had thrice the lifespan of the standard approach. So previously, the guy yeah. said they could do the standard approach, and it would cost about three times as much. So by my math, this should get us in the ballpark. Okay. This. Okay. And and that's after a mere. Uh, so the, you know the Japanese team had their method in 2012. Right. So we're talking you know five years ago. Uh, they were at three times the price, and now they're in the ballpark. You yeah. know, uh, give them give them another five years, and it, it may not make any sense to mine uranium uh, any other way. The sea uh, might be just where we go. And right. what's interesting about that is that could really then kickstart the deuterium process. Yeah. Because if we're already going to seawater to get fuel for uh, nuclear fission power, um, why not go for this? Really, it sounds to me like, based on what you were saying earlier and the discussions we've had about it before, much more abundant fuel that's already there, right? Or I guess it's not more right. abundant, but it's more powerful, right? That we could, we could get more power out of that than we could out of the, uh, out of the uranium. And so get it, get both, right? Yeah. If, yeah, exactly. If you could, you know, talk about uh, really cutting the price uh, uh, in half again. Uh, if you're, if you got, if you are able to efficiently extract both at the same time, by some method, right? Um, then you're you're getting a lot a lot more uh, fuel. Uh, you know, so it, you cut your cut your costs in half again or something. So that's uh, yeah, that's uh, that makes sense. Like I said, it's. Endless nuclear power from the sea times two. And you know what? The other thing this makes me think, and someone's got to be working on this, you know what else there's a lot of dissolved in the ocean? Gold, right? I mean, yeah. isn't, isn't somebody figuring that one out too? How do we, how do we attract those gold fibers? And it, it, you know, the, the, excuse me, the gold uh, molecules. And it would be the same, the same math, right? Can you do that as cheaply as you can mine ore? As soon as as soon as somebody figures out a trick to filter gold out of the ocean as cheaply as you can as you can mine ore from the ground, somebody's going to make a fortune pulling gold out of the ocean. I would think. What about things like uh, rare earth minerals and things like that? I mean, uh, uh, China kind of has the corner on a lot of this, right? And mm -hmm. uh, what what if uh, you know the same uh, you know the same source, the sea, uh, could provide uh, the world with what they need there? That's it's possible, although that word rare 
creates a caution, it, right? Because <laughs> exactly. right, if they're rare yeah. on land, and you figure we're talking about uranium is three parts per billion, and, and they had to create this convoluted process to get some. I mean, you know, what if something is one part per hundred trillion or something like that? You know, it's going to be really hard to narrow it down. But for those things, they're so valuable, it might be worth figuring out how to do it. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, interesting story with a lot of really interesting implications. Um, I, I feel like we're going to we're going to be seeing a lot more of this uh, making interest, you know, new and unexpected use of resources from the sea than we've seen before. And by golly, powering nuclear power plants has got to be one of the one of the best ways of doing that. Well, here's another story that I think um, is quite amazing and is just interesting to me that it's not a bigger news story than it is. But this is. Um, Dean Kamen um, is taking $294 million and basically creating a company around regenerative medicine, really looking to be a catalyst to launch regenerative medicine or you know, put a new boost behind it, really get that whole field going. And I think, uh, to me, this is comparable to maybe a smaller version of what we've talked about in the past with Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan and, and their billion dollar, what is it, $3 billion effort to end all disease. You know, here's a smaller scale investment, but into one of the most important medical technologies that we're going to see unfolding over the next few years. And a real focused effort here. I think the, the results of this can be just astounding. I think we're going to see amazing things come from this. And I, I think it's really uh, encouraging that the idea of it is far enough along now. It's not just lab work, right? It's, it's no longer just uh, someone has done an interesting proof of concept. When, when people start putting, how many figures is that? Seven, eight, nine, <laughs> right? Nine figures uh, investments into something. There's probably something there. I mean, this is, this yeah. is about to turn from uh, an interesting area of research into an interesting area of treatment, into, into something that people are really going to be experiencing more and more, and and I like that uh, it's it's being uh, set up under the auspices of the Department of Defense and regenerative medicine, primarily for wounded soldiers. That's 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 where they're starting with it. But of course, yeah. all of this research and all of these treatments are going to have wide, broad applicability to lots of other stuff, aren't they? Yeah, um, the, yeah. There's it's more than just soldiers that have uh, lost limbs, and so it, it, obviously uh, so there's a civilian need too, but I, I, I think it's only appropriate that uh, uh, that the impetus right now is to help soldiers. Uh, I think that's appropriate and right. Um, you know, we've had this conversation a few times, Phil, as to which we think we get first. I mean, do we get the Luke Skywalker-level prosthetic that uh, looks and functions just like a, a, a normal hand or mm-hmm. arm or foot or whatever you need? Or do we, or, or do we uh, get the ability to grow back these limbs uh, first? Which comes, which comes first, uh, you know, one or the other? I, you know, I, I, uh, I've kind of gone back and forth on this, I, I, but I kind of am um, leaning more these days towards regenerative medicine, that we were able to grow these things back uh, before we, we uh, had the ability to do a, a fully – you know, human-looking and uh, fully functional uh, prosthetic. Right, right. Well, you know, a limb, especially a hand, is such a complicated thing that 
it's easy for me to believe that that one might be close, that, that there'd be some real competition there. Definitely, if you're talking about just restoring some nerve tissue, or if you're talking about restoring skin tissue, removing scarring, uh, actually building back up injured organs or even restoring new organs, all of that regenerative medicine is, is, is going to provide all that. And there's not really a good cybernetic alternative to those things, right? I don't think anybody's talking about there, there's, there's going to be a machine version of that. But, but when you take it to the point of actually growing a hand, which is, I mean, you, you look about, you, you think about a hand, 27 bones in the human hand, I think, is that right? The nerves, the, the tendons, all the sophisticated movement that a hand can do, that is a very complex problem to solve either way, right? Right. right. Either way, you, you've really got a lot of work to do to solve that one. So, so when I look at that, I go, bring on the race, right? I, yeah, I, I would, exactly. I, I want to I see him fighting over who gets to, uh, who, who gets to make this one first because if, if, they even come close with regenerative medicine. That means we have really arrived with the regenerative medicine. If they can grow a hand, they can do just about anything, I would think. Um, at, well, at that I, I told you about uh, my, my son Timothy's idea that, uh, hey, you know, uh, maybe we get both. We get, the, uh, we get the prosthetic that nurtures the regrowing hand. Right. right. I mean, that right. grows within the prosthetic. Uh, uh, and uh, Well, that uh, makes sense because... Usually they need some kind of scaffolding for for mm-hmm. any kind of tissue that they grow, right? So you're so Timothy's saying um, the scaffolding would be the the prosthetic, so it it's right. working and it's serving as a platform to grow the actual living tissue on. That's right. And, and then uh, what do you end up with? Do you end up with a purely biological hand or a hybrid? That's hand? right. At, at some point, uh, the uh, you know you, you you lose the Borg, right? You no longer need it. Uh, you and uh, uh, the shell comes off, and uh, there you are. You got your hand, and uh, or, or whatever part of your body had to be regrown. I think it, you know that that to me is a neat idea, and I I, I don't doubt that it, it may go that way. That seems seems logical. Yeah, I I, I like the uh, I like the image, and and I think it makes a lot of sense. And also, uh, what's great about that is it has it has both technologies serving their purpose. Both of them both right. of them uh, playing an important role because no. You know, especially in this kind of uh, Department of Defense setting, no one would say, well, we should just abandon prosthetics and just do regenerative medicine. You know, they've done wonderful things over the years with prosthetics for amputees and and that kind of stuff. Um, But the idea of those prosthetics actually becoming the scaffold, actually becoming the infrastructure on which a new limb could be grown. Wow, that's that's an amazing thought. Yeah. What is it they say? Faster, love please, to see it. right? Bring, yeah, faster, please. You know, just yeah. just just bring it. Um, wh- what's encouraging also about this is if um, if Dean Kamen's putting up this kind of money, others are going to put up money, and um, both within and outside of the defense applications, we're going to see a huge amount of interest. I think in regenerative medicine. We were talking on Monday's show about space being the new growth area. Here's another one. Right. This is this is going to be yeah. a huge growth area, I think, um, for medical for biotechnology companies over the over the next few years. And I think you know the implications of this kind of treatment they're just you know just about endless. There there there's right. there's no end to the kinds of the different kinds of injuries and illnesses and conditions that can be can be treated with regenerative medicine. So 
I'm uh, I'm looking forward I'm looking forward to see what they uh, uh, to, to to see what comes of this. This is one of those almost kind of quiet, amazing stories. You know, um, uh, you see it happening, and I think people don't they, they don't really feel the impact of this quite yet. But we're you know we can look at it and say this is going to be big. This is going to be very very big, um, and I think pretty soon too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess we've got to get to the uh, the big story of the night. Then. Well, it is our headline story. So how about the math that shows that humans could live 10 times longer? Uh, this is really interesting, and you've got to back it up just a little bit. Did you get a chance to to read this story, Stephen? Or you, I did, have, I did. So what do you think of this argument? Actually, step us through it, if you could. What, what, are, they, what are they saying? Well, they're, they're, they're basically saying that, uh, you know, it doesn't appear – from from what they're what they're seeing here, it does not appear that uh, that you know evolution has uh, you know put it this way. We are programmed apparently to live as long as we need to live to uh, to to you know get the next generation going right. And, right. Uh, and evolution is pretty much done with us then. The the mechanism of once once uh, we've uh, um, established the uh, the next generation you know if we manage to hang on a little while then you know we're probably not hurting anything um but you know they're probably in times past though we were if you hang on too long and you're sitting there eating food <laughs> that might be needed for <laughs> for for the for the kids right um right. then um, maybe that's maybe that's not such a great thing and uh you know and 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 there there was maybe some, perhaps some uh uh, evolutionary pressure to die. Uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, the hypothesis these these biologists have is that um, lifespan decreases when when resources are scarce. The the right. the scarcer the resources, the shorter lifespan you have. Basically, to the point where in a very very resource poor environment. You live long enough to reproduce, and then you die. That's you know that's that's the optimum. It's like get out of the way, let the new generation have food. If there's if if there's abundant resources, you know evolution doesn't care. It's it's not that it wants you out of the way because it doesn't like you. Um, you. You have to be pushed out of the way if there's no resources to feed the to feed the next generation. So that's why you see this incredible variability in lifespan between different species. And, and they give interesting examples like alligators, which apparently don't age. I had never heard that before. That's that's very interesting. Or like the octopus, which reproduces and then immediately dies. Right. So the the example we were just uh, we were just talking about. And I've heard of you know fish that never seem to never seem to get any older. And then we know that there are other species that have a very short lifespan that just goes a few days or a few weeks. What could what could account for that? Well, this seems like a pretty rational explanation, doesn't it? It's yeah. like, well, this is this is a governing principle that keeps um, that, that keeps the species in check. Um, well, you, you, there's there is some thought, uh, Phil, that uh, um, well, looking back on our history as a, as a species, that it it, it appears obvious that uh, we began to live longer lives once language was established. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that you could you could consider it a wisdom transmission time. What's you know if what, what's what's the point of uh, of being the wise the elder the wise elder if uh, you didn't have the ability to transmit what you learned 
to the ne- to the younger generation and, and and them getting the benefit of that, right? Right. Right. And so uh, uh, apparently, uh, once once a complex language uh, uh, picked you know picked up, uh, we we started living longer. Um, Interesting. Now I wonder if when we started writing things down, if lifespans went back down again, right? It's like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because we got your contribution. Now go on. Yeah, you know, kind of. Yeah, thing. exactly. You, you put it down on paper. We don't need you anymore. <laughs> 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 just write it all down. Goodbye. Yeah, but 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 that's that's really interesting. Yeah, but I mean that, that's, it's that kind of thing, right? If there's a purpose for you, great. Um, and yeah, and one of the reasons yeah. they say that humans live relatively long is because biologically, in in or or I should say evolutionarily, culturally, in our populations, grandparents have had a fairly important role in raising offspring more so than other right. species. So that that was another reason that. That uh, that we ended up with a somewhat longer lifespan than than like say other apes have, um, right? But but typically the, our uh, typically lifespan has a lot to do with body size. But uh, we're we break all the rules. We live as we live as long as as the great whales do, you know, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to say as long as a pig does, uh, which is you know into the teen years perhaps. Uh, at best, so that, you know we 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 uh, we live a much longer time than what you would expect. So, um, so the the question is, could we do it ten times as long, Phil? What do you think from this article? What do, do, you, do you buy the math here? If they're if they are right, then there's no reason why we couldn't live ten times as long. Because if they're right, what they're saying is biologically, there's no reason for us to age. The 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 reason for us to age is an evolutionary ad- adaptation that. Uh, is a switch that can be reset. It can be, um, you know, it can be modified. Um, I don't know if you saw this table in here uh, on 47 yeah. different varieties of rockfish. I didn't know there were 47 different kinds of rockfish, for one thing, okay, which is interesting in its own right. But they're all very closely related. They're practically the same species of fish. Um, and they show from the shortest, they live. Uh, their longevity rating is 12 years. So the average rockfish of the calico variety lives 12 years to the rough eye, which lives 205 years. Okay. And there's this really interesting progression from 12 all the way up to 205. Um, that's, I mean, that's more than 10 times as long, right? Yeah. Within, within one, within one kind of fish. So, um, I would think that uh, you know there's no reason why a why a rockfish couldn't live 2,000 years based on looking at that, right? Um, and I don't see any reason why a human being, to bring it a little closer to home, couldn't live 700 years. Um, I, I I think that uh, if they're right, that's I mean that's the if what the, what they're reading into the what they're reading into the lifespan data I think is compelling. And if it's right, it says that. It, to, to me, it says there's no reason to think we couldn't have an indefinite lifespan um, because aging isn't a real thing. It's, it's just something that's been added as an evolutionary adaptation. Um, what do you think, Stephen? Do you, do you find it uh, pretty persuasive or are you feeling skeptical? Yeah, I about go, the whole thing? I, you know, I, I find their argument persuasive, but I, I don't, don't know if, uh, um, you know, our lifespan is so much a, uh, a, you know, a need a need for an evolutionary need for the one generation to die off to clear space for the next one, or if it was just neglect on the part. You know, you're you're made as good as 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 is needed, 
right? And, right. Uh, and and maybe and, and it's not like uh, okay, uh, you know, <laughs> you're you're programmed to die. It's just that you're programmed to live only a certain period of time. It's a, it's a subtle distinction, but I don't. I I, I wonder if it, if it's. Uh, uh, you know, it's less a, a fact that we're programmed to die, and more of just okay. You know, or you're 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 made as good as we need you to. You know, <laughs> as, I, I'm, I'm anthropomorphizing. Uh, you know, the uh, nature here for a second, but we're made as good as it needed us to be. Right. Uh, perhaps I don't know. It's uh, what do you think? Well, yeah. I, I, I even if even if that's the case, it suggests to me. W- w- Here's what I really like about this idea, okay, if this is true, if they're right, if this is true, then what this says is uh, maybe even Aubrey de Grey's uh, strategies for engineered negligible sevens, his, his seven causes, um, is overcomplicating the matter, right? Ultimately, you've got to look for one switch that you can throw because either you're going to age or you're not. Either, a- either you're being aged out or you're not being aged out. And if you can, if you can find the switch that's controlling that... Um, it's almost like uh, curing aging the the way Aubrey and others talk about it is almost kind of like treating the symptoms, right? If if we can if we can back it up and say, well, what's the switch that's saying that we have to age, that we that we have to die by a certain age? Let's get rid of that, and uh, all, all that type of cell damage maybe takes care of itself. One one of the things they cite in here is um, a study in from Science last year. Uh, growth factor protein, GDF11, was infused into aging mice and it appeared to stop the aging process. We talked about that. Um, it, it does appear that there is, if not a switch, something like a switch that mammals have related to aging. Um, and this research kind of falls into that model. So, I don't know, we're, we're getting some very encouraging early signs of what could eventually be a big breakthrough in in aging research, but I guess we just we have to be patient and, and see what comes next. Well, it seems to me that um, uh, you know we uh, we um, decode the DNA of some of these uh, creatures, uh, you know, uh, the complex vertebrae who manage not to age much, or if at all. And uh, the study, you know, what's going on here that's different from uh, uh, from others that uh, uh, that do age. Uh, yeah, it's know, almost like we've got to look at us. What are we doing that they're not doing, right? Yeah, <laughs> what's, exactly. What's happening inside of us that's making us age, um, right. and, and and they don't have that. If it's, but, just, if it's just a single gene, like you say, wow, that, uh, that there's a real target. There's a drug target right there, right? Um, and... Uh, <laughs> that would, uh, it would it would uh, vastly simplify uh, Aubrey Gray's job, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean that that's the thing we talk about aging being uh, potentially a curable condition. We haven't dared hope that it, there might be a simple cure, but maybe there will be. That it it, it may turn out that um, if not a simple cure, then there may be a very simple treatment for it, or a very simple set of treatments for it. Uh, down the road at this point right now we'd take anything right i mean <laughs> <laughs> give us another 10 years uh, yeah yeah uh, anything that anything that gets us closer to when they have the real treatment is fine right uh yeah. it's it's like you know there's there's an urgency around uh you know for, for those of us who are getting older around just making any kind of progress along these lines but if you if you step back and look at what nature seems to be showing us about how this works I don't know. I, I think it's pretty encouraging. 
this is you know this is obviously an area that's still going to require an awful lot of research. But what I'm seeing here is real reason to be encouraged that eventually we will get a handle on this, and eventually we we will be able to say, hmm, yeah, you know, you've aged enough or you've aged too much. Let's wind it back a little bit, and and you can just you can stop doing that now. Well, uh, this is what we're talking about when we say live to see it, right? That absolutely right. Um, I want I want to live to see this confirmed for sure. That would be uh, <laughs> that would be fantastic. All right, Stephen. Well, guess what? You know what? We've completed another show. We're gonna have to pick it up on Friday with a brand new show. And of course, we do have a archive show tomorrow. It's great, been great talking with you, Stephen. It's been great being with you all. And until next time, live to see it. 